This is Paul Nobles from Eat Perform. I am here with Eat Perform coach Christopher Dietz. Chris, if you want to say hi to everybody. Morning, everybody. Happy Saturday. So this is Nose Torque with Paul and Chris, and and per usual, uh, we're going to switch it up a little bit um, because I think that in an effort to talk about training and and. For those that don't know, we have Eat Perform members. We also have coaches from gyms all over the world that participate in these, and they can ask us questions. And so, if if anybody has questions, feel free to kind of get those out there. But the themes that the theme that we're going to go with is um, kind of a protein primer, and just talk to you guys about considerations as it relates to protein and some things that you might be able to help you, you know, reach your goals a little bit better. Uh, and I don't think that that's going to take too long, but, you know, who knows? I'm kind of long-winded, so sometimes it does. Uh, but I wanted to start with kind of an interesting aspect for if you've been listening to the podcast for a while. I've been kind of walking people through the process of my performance-focused fat loss, which is the e form formula for... Um, losing fat, right? And so for the most part, you're not dieting. And then occasionally you're going to have a little bit of a deficit um, to kind of reach your aesthetic goals. And what's interesting or or the 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 thing that we'll often hear in the coaching program, because we actually have kind of a, a coaching program and then a coaching program light. Chris is one of the leads in the coaching program light, which is like a quick start lifetime. And then we have group coaching on top of that. And so every single day at either 1130 or one o'clock, I'll talk to clients about something. And one thing that comes up a lot in performance focused fat loss is that I am losing X amount of pounds, but then when I rehydrate, I come back and I, I should probably talk a little bit about rehydrate because, and I think the best example is if you have ever watched like boxing or MMA and they have 24 hour wait periods. If you're familiar with, you know, 24 hour wait periods with weightlifting, this is similar. So what happens in a lot of these scenarios is these guys dehydrate themselves to to make a certain weight class like the biggest one recently was Conor McGregor where he normally fights at 145 he went up to 170 did not rehydrate and got his ass kicked so um what that should tell you is is that Conor McGregor can deal with a certain level of pain you know as it relates to getting down to 145 where he's naturally a bigger athlete than than these other guys and that's why he's knocking them out at 145 magically he shows up against 170 pound what's interesting about i think the guy's name is nate diaz i don't really follow mma all that much but i do like kind of the bigger fights I'm, I'm really interested in the cormier fight i have to say it's so stressful to me it's even more stressful than boxing i'm a big boxing fan as well um, because, you know, when these guys are on the ground and, you know, they're pounding on them and, and, and trying to choke them and stuff like this, it's just so stressful for me. Like I squirt, I squirm around the couch, you know, as I'm watching it. 
Um, do you do you watch MMA or boxing? I, I love watching boxing, man. Um, I've been so excited that they have it on uh, cable now, like on like HBO and stuff. They just have like Friday night fights and stuff like that. Like it's been cool to see that again because it's been a while since it's been just on regular TV. Yeah, boxing still has the same problem. I mean, it, you know, MMA would argue that there's kind of a monopolistic type thing going on. You know, yep. when they have competing federations, but, you know, those, they just have not had any traction. And one of the reasons why they haven't had any traction is because MMA or, or Dana White has put the best fights in front of you. I mean, uh, last weekend was a great example where, you know, some of the two of the, you know, champions ended up losing, you know. And that's actually one of the coolest things to me, you know, like boxing gets into this mode where, you know, undefeated is the end-all, be-all, you know. And, you know, MMA, you know, fighter has a bad day and that fighter loses, you know. And what you saw with Conor McGregor as an example was him, you know, Nate Diaz was able to eat his punches. Nate Diaz has been in with some of the, some of the, you know, uh, light heavyweights like Andre Ward and and guys like that, that that actually throw some bombs, you know. So trust me, like one forty five, some one hundred forty five pound dude ain't gonna be like throwing bombs at him. Um, so he was able to eat those punches. I mean, if you saw the fight, he was all bloodied up, and then obviously, you know, he hit Connor with a with a strike, and uh, it was it was it was pretty cool. I actually like Connor McGregor a lot. You know, um, but I liked I liked him being humbled a little bit too. You know, I liked him um, kind of having to. You know, I think this will be one of those things where Connor will um, will end up, uh, you know, working a little bit harder and kind of being a little bit smarter. I mean, the guy's obviously a pretty intelligent guy. Um, but what happens when these guys dehydrate um, is they'll usually take IVs to rehydrate back up. And actually, um, the IV business, in especially in California, is big business. And Las Vegas is big business. Um, and I, there's, a, there's one locally now in Minneapolis, I don't know if you know this, Chris, um, that just opened up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but for sports that, you know, work on a 24-hour time period, you can actually lose a fair amount of weight, you know, through water reduction. You better know what you're doing. You better be with somebody. You better be under a doctor's care, you know, things like that. But the reason why you, um, you know, more often than not, these guys will go, um, they'll have sort of a low-carbohydrate way of eating going into that dehydration period, and then they'll dehydrate the rest of the water off. And so, um, you know, I'm just trying to explain this in, in, in relationship to my experience, which isn't as extreme, but it kind of illustrates, you know, what happens in the case of performance-focused fat loss. Um, so now all of a sudden, these guys rehydrate up and they're eight packed up, right? In boxing, a lot of the guys like Mayweather, Marquez... Pacquiao, for the most part, they stay at kind of the same uh, weight, weight, 
because they don't want to have to kind of, you know, go through these extremes um, because they feel like they'll lose their advantage. You know, in the case of McGregor, you know, he's been able to do it. Um, and maybe, he, you know, maybe even at 80 percent, he's still better than a lot of 145 fighters at 100 percent. Maybe that's the case. So what happens in performance focused fat loss is you're looking for some signs that you're going down. And typically that's going to be the scale. And so if you look at the way things have gone from me up to this point, I started at once 187, mid, mid 187. Um, lowest I saw on the scale today, uh, this week was 182.8. Um, and then going into the CrossFit Open, I started eating a little bit more carbohydrates. I wasn't like super low carb. I mean, I had Chipotle like three times that week, um, but I was still able to be in a bit of a deficit, have a draw on my body and, and continue losing weight in the process. And that's not always linear. It won't be linear for me. And I'll talk about that when that happens. But so far, it's been sort of linear. So I get down to 182.8. Yesterday, um, I didn't do anything too extreme. Um, I did have, uh, you know, kind of a, a cinnamon roll thing in the morning with my breakfast, which was eggs and potatoes. And then, you know, just like some popcorn and a kombucha. And then uh, maybe, maybe a few other things I can't remember. Um, and then that night, you know, date night, we have pizza. Well, the pizza is, you know, a lot of sodium, a lot of, you know, fair amount of carbs and, uh, um, and garlic, which tends to be a little bit better in terms of absorption. So I woke up, you know, kind of feeling pretty good about myself. You know, my muscles were full. You know, you look in the mirror and you go, okay, this is good. So I hit the scale. Last Friday or last Saturday morning, I was 185.6. Today, I was 186. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about my Withing scale. Um, but this is where I think most people struggle with performance focused fat loss. So they'll often say to me in coaching, I keep moving within this two to three pounds and then I do a weight plus and you know my weight is up so there's a couple thoughts on that one you know the my goal for this week was 183.2 I was able to get 0.4 lower than that so my goal for this week is 182.2 I'm at 186 is that going to be a little uncomfortable? Yes, it is. Am I going to have a few days where, um, you know, kind of getting rid of some of this water, you know, is going to be part of the process? Absolutely. You know, um, I think, I'm trying to think, I, I was down from 185.6 to 183.6 by Tuesday morning. 
my suspicion is that for me to get closer to that 182.2, and by the way, I might not hit it, you know, like that's kind of part of the deal. There's a lot of things, you know, I talked about this on Thursday night, you know, as you start to introduce another element of stress, you have to start to expect that sleep's going to be less, that, you know, um, stress is going to be higher, like all these different things that are going to be coming up and you have to sort of account for that. So, you know, sometimes you might not hit your, your goals for that week so far. So good. Right. And, um, for me, you know, I've been able to kind of keep my volume up. That's another reason why, um, what we're talking about a little bit is insulin sensitivity. A couple things that are favorable for insulin sensitivity is, you know, eating at a bit of a deficit for a short period of time and then um, keeping volume in the mix. And so, you know, some of the, you know, airdyne sprints that I've been able to do, some of the lunges I've been able to do, obviously the CrossFit Open that I was able to do yesterday, all of those things are favorable for insulin sensitivity. The problem that you run into is that if you, if you don't rehydrate up, right? And you're always staying at a deficit, you can decrease your insulin sensitivity that way as well. If you think of it in the most extreme, there's the type 2 diabetics, and then people see almost kind of similar symptoms the other way, where, you know, they become resistant to carbohydrates and stuff like that. And so that's a little bit what we talk about in our fat loss book, and walk you guys through that process. But the point being is that that rehydration process is fairly important because it does send a signal to my body to upregulate. And obviously, I'll have a little bit more energy for a few more days to get in a little bit more work. And I'll be able to use that, you know, to hopefully get to that, you know, um, 182.2 number. And so, and, and, and once again, you know, this is not a process that we're talking about. You know, I mean, if I was 240 pounds, maybe I might be looking at a little bit more aggressive deficit, you know, a little bit more weight loss, things of that nature. Those things are entirely possible. But even in that scenario, folks should be kind of cognizant of how things work. The last I'm going to say on this is... Um, at some point, I might want to kind of keep the, the, the pizza out of the equation or mess with dose on that one. You know, so far it hasn't been an issue and it's been favorable for, uh, you know, lots of things. You know, um, it just depends on how aggressive, you know, I'll need to be as I start to go lower and you know we'll see maybe this is the week where it starts to get really really super hard you know I mean I definitely thinking to myself man you know you know being at 185.6 you know and then and then coming back down boy you know um, that that doesn't seem like it's going to be fun but we'll see you know that that you know that I know obviously that it's mostly rehydration of muscle um, and, and that's kind of part of the equation there. So maybe I'll play with, 
you know, dosing, like maybe I'll play with, you know, like in, in the instance of the cinnamon roll um, and, and the potatoes for the, for the breakfast. You know, the, the, the thing about doing this during the CrossFit Open, I'm not super concerned about how I perform in the CrossFit Open, but I, I, I don't want to work out with no energy. And so that's why I've kind of placed that weight plus day. You know, our weight plus day is basically, you know, kind of a, um, you know, a day where you rehydrate your muscles. You're eating at um, more than you would normally eat as a way to sort of upregulate pretty much every, you know, I mean, pretty much every diet, you know, out there does this. You know, it, it, you know, most people call it a cheat day. I'm not a fan of that verbiage. Um and so, uh, any any thoughts on that, Chris? Be- before we move on to protein, um, just that I, th- I think um, a lot of people get caught up in those day to day fluctuations of the scale when they're doing this, and it's it's not always about the day to day. You got to kind of look at the overall trend, and and that's where your target should be. But um, my personal strategy is like I use two specific days of the week. Um, for me, be just the way my life is, is Tuesday and Friday. And those are kind of my benchmark days. I, I, I weigh every day, but, um, Tuesday and Friday are the ones that I use because Friday, I'm not, I haven't, you know, gone out for drinks. I haven't gone out and had a big, huge meal, pasta or pizza or whatever the case is with my wife. And by Tuesday, those things have had a chance to kind of work through my system. So to me, that gives me a better reflection of where I'm normalized at, um, that's how I kind of approach that. Yeah, I think I think that's a great thing to mention, especially for women. You know, because women will see bigger water fluctuations and stuff like that. So having some strategy. But my my ultimate point is is that this week might suck, and I have to go into it from the standpoint of. If my weight is going to be up at 186, you know, and what's nice about it is, is let's say that, you know, I land at 177 and I know that my rehydration is at about three pounds. Well, then I know that my bounce back needs to be at about 180 and I need to kind of keep an eye on that. And so, you know, the, the biggest part of, you know, any kind of fat loss program that you're doing is really allowing for some of that rehydration so you have energy throughout the day so you can normalize. And what will happen once I'm done is, you know, either a slow or fast kind of acclimation period, you know, and I'll be basing it off of of data at that point, and I'll probably be talking about that in the podcast as well. Um, But, you know, the, the goal is to get, under 180 so I can use 180 as the 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 um my my bounce back. Um I did mention that my muscle mass is up 6 pounds um which is, you know, favorable. I, I would say that, you know, I wasn't like super lean um you know at 175, you know, I was around 13 to 15%. And so getting back to that kind of 13 to 15% range is sort of what my goal is. And, uh, you know, whereas my, my weight goals were 175, now that I have six more pounds of muscle on my frame, you know, now my number's more like 181. So, you know, I'm just giving you guys some thought processes, you know, 
what I think people often do is, especially women, you know, they will think, well, you know, I was 135, therefore I need to be 135. Well, if you're putting on muscle, and let's say you put on four pounds of muscle, now your new number is 139, you know? And if you don't know that, and you're not factoring that in, you might be making your journey more hard, and then you have to go to more extremes to get to 135, when actually your, your number was 139. And that will set you up for failure. And so that's something I think, you know, to keep in mind. So talking about protein, I think the best strategy is to kind of start with kind of basic whey protein where we're not getting tricky. You know, it's, you know, most of the stuff that you're going to buy off the shelf, you look at it, it's $29.95 and there's you know a number of factors there and then we'll get into blends and we'll get into things of that nature um afterwards um we do sell protein we have our own protein brand that through extreme formulations and one of the biggest factors that we work with those guys is because of flavoring and how good it tastes you know you can have the absolute best protein out there, but if it tastes like shit, you ain't going to eat it, you know? And so to me, you know, that's a, that's a gigantic factor as it relates to um, what brands you're, you're going to use. And I see a lot of people using inferior brands because it tastes good. And then, you know, it's got a lot of fillers, um, you know, it's not, you know, you, you look at the ingredients list and it's like a mile long and it's just like, man, I don't know. You know, the, uh, those are some factors to kind of, to come in and then we'll talk about what people use to sweeten protein and then the pluses and minuses of that a little bit. Um, any thoughts on just like basic whey protein? Cause I know that, you know, I mean, can you think of any brands out there that are just basic whey protein you found that tastes pretty good and it's at kind of a low dollar point because i know that like our stuff is about 39.95 or 42.95 i can't remember um so it, it tends to be a little bit higher it's more of a blend for our basic stuff um i i use the stuff that we sell i have a lot of that here um have a shelf over there with a bunch of stuff on it but um one of the ones that i use a lot when i'm when i wasn't using ours was diamondized because it was yeah you could get the iso um for pretty much the same price as like a standard on way kind of price it was a little bit on the cheaper side so, okay so um, let me just stop you right there because you're saying on way so what he's talking about is optimized nutrition which is a fairly decent brand um you know some people would take issue with that. Um, I, I think people are overly weird about protein, you know. Um, and you know, let me let me also make the case for you know getting your protein mostly from whole foods. You know, I almost never take uh, whey protein. I'll talk a little bit more about that as we kind of go up the scale. 
but that's because the good majority of the time I'm not dieting, the good majority of the time I'm eating roughly 3,000 calories, and so I don't have any problem fitting in my macros. And I start to reduce my calories overall. Now all of a sudden I have to, you know, consider some types of supplementation. So you know, definitely, you know, don't mishear what we're saying here. Uh, whole food proteins do matter. Yep. So the uh, we are getting a few people that are talking about various brands um, someone saying iso pure synthesis my protein i don't know anything about any of these brands i don't know anything about how pure their way is i will say this is that if you just you know if you just have standard whey protein with no flavoring or anything like that you will hate your life you know um, like like it, it does not taste good you know, um, now some people can get away with that, you know, the, they'll just take it, you know, kind of as a shot or whatever. And that is one strategy. Um, any thoughts on that, Chris? I've, I've, I've never had, um, the unflavored because, uh, I should say I've tried it and that was enough for me. Um, just, I prefer to drink it with the flavor it is other than to add something like the orange retargo or Gatorade or something like that to it. So I mix it with my carbs, but, um, yeah, I, when you have them flavored, then you start adding in all sorts of other things to it to make it taste good. So that becomes a, that becomes a whole new situation in terms of your macros. Um, and even to, down to the timing, because now you're talking about carbs or added fats or, fruits or fibers or things like that that can now you, now you have a whole new situation you're dealing with now brad brought up an interesting thing in the in the food group uh or the, our meal planning group which is a private group that you get as a member of eat form that that little layer of juice that you have on yogurt don't you know, mix that in because that is whey and so you'll end up getting more protein. So if you get rid of that, you're actually getting rid of some of the protein. And so, you know, kind of keep that in mind. Uh, you, you mind if I address one of these questions here quick? Yeah, go right ahead. Uh, Bill King is asking, how do you hit your protein numbers with primarily whole foods? What tricks do you have to do so? Um, for me, um, one thing I do feel like my protein number is 225 grams per day. Um, that, that's that's my about one gram per pound. Uh, so what I do is I take, I eat six times a day just because that's going to be the easiest way for me to do this. Um, if I take my 225 grams, divide that over six meals, I get 37 and a half grams of protein in each meal. And that works out to between five and six ounces of any um, lean meat source. So whether I have a sirloin or a flank or I have a lean pork chop, um, usually that, that means center cut. Um, if I have tilapia, if I have well, pretty much any kind of fish or seafood, uh, chicken breast, that's going to be about a five to six ounce portion that I have at any one of those meals. And then usually before bed, I have a casing shake. Um, after my workout, I have protein. That's going to be about a scoop and a half because that's 25 grams in a scoop for those. So now I'm looking at 37 and a half grams and I hit it in each one of those meals based on that strategy. 
Yeah, the uh so what Chris is talking about is having like six meals. Um, and part of the argument for six meals is that as your aminos are breaking down from your workouts and such, such like this, there's various periods where your body is trying to kind of keep mass, right? And, you know, there would be some people that would say, Six meals are unnecessary. I would be one of those people. I don't eat six meals. Um, I often eat two meals. Um, but I do have some level of, and, and I'll give that strategy. But what Chris is talking about can do, be done in, in my three meal strategy. In my two meal strategy, not so much. So I'll talk about that in just a second. But what, what he's doing is basically trying to com compartmentalize the amount of protein that he's taking in. So throughout the day, as his body's breaking down protein, he's allowing for enough amino acids to, you know, regain and get potentially stronger. And therefore, uh, you know, he ends up working out better. And clearly, if you follow Chris, you know, in the training and programming group, it's working. You know, I would argue that Mine also works, um, and there's a lot of science, and, and a lot of people will say that you can get there if, you know, like I said, you know, over the course of a year, as a relatively trained athlete, I was able to put on six pounds of muscle, and in that process, you know, I would say that for Chris's strategy, consistency has probably been a little bit better for Chris than it has been for me in the last six months. So there's been a little bit more uh, fat gain in that process. And so that's why I'm performance focused fat lossing right now. But Chris, you did have, well, how long was the period where you were cutting? It was only about four to six weeks. Yeah. Um, I don't even know exactly. I was just trying to make sure I stayed um, under about 230 pounds. It, I wasn't really really like doing a hard cut like the NFL would be yeah so like like you know we did the, we did a podcast with just the last podcast which was when should you buckle down and so we kind of walked through a bunch of factors like that but you know some level of kind of keeping an eye on where things are at and some level of allowing you know yourself to kind of maybe even drift up a little bit I know women have a hard time hearing that but you know in general if you can allow for you know, for guys, maybe four to six pounds. For women, maybe, you know, I'd say anywhere from three to five pounds. You're probably better off because you're potentially going to gain mass better that way. And then you can obviously address that, um, especially if you're eating an adequate amount for what you do. Like, what are your calories right now, Chris? Right now, I'm at about 3,200. And you weigh what? I weigh 224 right now. Okay. So I weigh... 183.2 and my calories are right at 3000. So you go, well, what's the difference? Well, the difference is the way that we do work. You know, Chris is really more focused on the weightlifting side of things. If you look at the way that I structure my performance focused fat loss, my goal is to get in a little bit more of a calorie burn. So my deficits don't seem so extreme. 
I'm a little more adherent in that process and those are some things that to think of in in this way so in the case of whole foods um, especially as I move into like performance focused fat loss kind of like the deep part of it I'll be focused a lot more on a three meal strategy where you know from for me especially in a performance focused fat loss you know, I will go to like a point, 0.7 multiplier for mm-hmm. protein, 0.7 to 0.8, which puts me around the 130 to 150 range, depending on the day. And so, like Chris is saying, uh, you know, I'll average out the protein for that day. There are times where my protein does tend to spike up. You know, sometimes, you know, if my protein throughout the day wasn't as good i'll go for triple chicken you know at chipotle which ends up being 96 ounces uh, or 96 grams um don't love that strategy i'd rather do like a, a double chicken strategy which is you know in the 60 range and then you have you know kind of maybe a 60 40 50 kind of breakup but but really more of you know overall picture where you're providing an adequate amount of amino acids. I know Mike talked about this in coaching where, um, you know, if you don't hit your protein numbers one day, you know, it's not like your muscles are going to fall off. Uh, you know, the, uh, I did have my sister-in-law, you know, and I mean, I, I hope, I hope she doesn't listen to these. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but you know, she, you know, uses the USDA, which is like 60 grams of protein. And she's talking about that nonstop and how hard that number is to get to. Imagine the scenario if if she was Chris and had to get to 225. You know, what a lot of people don't factor in is that as you're breaking down this muscle during exercise, you know, not building it back up. You know, has a little bit of cost in terms of like, you know, uh, you know the 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 amount of work that you can do, um, the amount of fat that you have on your body. Obviously, muscle is going to be more favorable. Certainly, having some level of carbohydrates is also beneficial. So, Chris mentioned casein. So let's let's go through casein, and then we'll talk a little bit about you know, ISO and hydro and, and, and the differences there. But casein is basically a slower digesting protein. Uh, you know, people take it at night. So as their body is sort of in repair mode, I absolutely cannot take, I have a dairy allergy, just so you guys know. So that, that I think adds some level of intrigue to this discussion, I'm not lactose intolerant. Okay, whey protein is almost there's almost no lactose in whey protein in virtually anything that you buy. So anybody like overly weird about lactose, you don't need to worry about that with whey protein. But there is a certain percentage of the population that does have dairy allergies, and some people react to dairy a lot of times. You know, people will go, um, and and there is there. You know, Sherry's mentioning a lot of interesting stuff, adding 
protein to various things like I'll add protein to you know my 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 um, yogurt as an example might have like 25 grams of protein I can add 25 to 30 grams more and then I got 50 grams of protein so now all of a sudden I've got 50 grams of protein sometimes you can become a little gassy from that standpoint because your body will struggle that is a little bit that's where I think Chris's strategy is more correct than my strategy, but not because of the timing aspect, but because of the way that your body deals with it. What we're sort of talking about is a concept called bioavailability. And when your foods that you eat are more bioavailable to you, they absorb better into your system. And so when, you know, this is sort of the argument against beans, you know, and, and paleo that, you know, you get gas and therefore it's bad for you. So we could argue that all day, right? But when your body is struggling to handle something, at the end of the day, you can try to figure out a way as it relates to dosing. That's what I think ultimately Chris's strategy is there. And that's why I think it's more applicable. I mean, yes, you can go over the science of having, you know, available aminos. You know, yes. You know, so in my strategy, when I look at, you know, how I'm structuring my protein throughout the day, whether it be whole food protein, whether it be, you know, some kind of supplement. Like I said, I really don't take a lot of supplements. You know, um, it, it's just, you know, I I don't have that high levels of protein. Um, I don't find it necessary for what I do. My, you know, but I'm not like Chris. I'm not trying to squat 600 pounds. You know what I mean? So you have to kind of gauge, you know, what are your goals for what you're trying to achieve? For me, you know, I, I want to be able to exercise. I want to be able to do what I do. Um, but like extreme goals and stuff like that, you know, they kind of come and go for me. They're not always in, in, in play. I think it, in the case of Chris, you know, when you're looking at lifting really heavy numbers for power lifting, if you don't have some level of consistency with that, you'll never get to those upper levels. And that's the difference, I think. Any thoughts on on what we're saying there? Um, you know, we kind of glanced over the casein, but it's basically just a slow version. Um, I think it does have lactose in it. Am, am I correct? I believe so. Um, I, I know there's some people who can't tolerate it, but they, they can do whey, but they can't do casein. So I think that's kind of the issue there. Um, I usually use it at night, like you said, or um, if I'm going to do like a, I hate to say meal replacement, but like if I need some protein on the fly, that's usually the route I'm going to go because it is slower digesting. So it'll stick around a little longer. Yeah. Um, so that's how, that's what I do it that way. But um, I wanted to mention um, with kind of talking about the whole foods uh, versus supplementation that we touched on a little bit was that when, when I do PFFL, the supplements kind of get pushed aside to a certain degree um, because satiety becomes a factor. 
Right. And, and I think I know what you're talking about with your three meals is that um, when you go a little bit, um, when you have the three, you tend to be a little more full and that can help with any cravings or, um, you know, that hunger feeling, which you're going to feel when you're on a cup. So you don't get that same level of satiety with a supplement or a powder that you would with a whole food. So those whole foods become much more important See, in my opinion. And I think that that's a little bit of the issue when we're talking about like something like Weight Watchers or talking about something like, you know, um, if it fits your macros. What a lot of people want to do is they want to eat a certain amount of calories and then, you know, they want to be on a cut and they want to just eat less Pop-Tarts or less, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, I would argue that you'd be better off focusing a little bit more on whole foods at that point and just occasionally eating Pop-Tarts. Like I said, you know, I didn't avoid, you know, I mean, I, I had cinnamon rolls. I had Chipotle three times this week. I had pizza. I had a Coke. I had M&Ms. You know, I had a lot of things that a lot of people would want to have in their diet, but I didn't have them every single day. You know, I only had them, you know, uh, in even in the scenarios where, you know, I was having you know, something like Chipotle, I was still seeing kind of progress on on the scale. I think the other thing too that you mentioned earlier that's kind of interesting is that let's say that you're trying to reach a certain number by a certain day, having a check-in earlier in that day kind of tells you like, you know, how aggressive you need to be, you know, and it's not always in calories. Sometimes it's in cycling. You know, sometimes it's in maybe you're being a little bit overly reliant on carbohydrates and you can move to to a little bit more fats and proteins. So that's, you know, and certainly, you know, keeping fiber in the mix is going to be super, super good. Uh, Sherry is mentioning that she, you know, for anybody kind of, you know, picking up the conversation at this point, you know, we have a number of people that are talking to us in this module that are coaches and, and clients. And so she's saying that, that she can't tolerate casein. I, I'm going to talk a little bit about how, you know, well, first of all, there's some things that we need to consider. We talked about adding whey protein to other things like yogurt, fruit smoothies, you know, all this other kind of stuff. You can get away with that. You know, you can get away with like putting whey protein in in a in orange juice, and it's like an orange Julius, um, which is awesome. Uh, you try to do that with casein, and you ain't gonna like how it goes because it just tastes horribly. You know, and usually with casein to mask the flavor, they tend to have to have a little bit more sweeteners. So we'll we'll talk a little bit about sweeteners now. Typically. You know, you have your artificial sweeteners and then you have kind of like the pseudo natural sweeteners. You know, I don't think there's been a ton of testing on on stevia, but it is more natural than, say, something like sucralose. Um, I will go out go ahead and say it. You know, our casein whey blend has sucralose and we, you know, we do get people that give us a little blowback on that. The thing about the amount of sucralose that is in this product is very, very small. 
And when you look at it, you have to go, what tastes better, right? If taste is a concern and, you know, using something, in my view, Stevia has an aftertaste that makes it a non-starter for me. Now, some people like Stevia and there's products like Stronger, Faster, Healthier that use Stevia. You know, we actually sold that at one point. Uh, it wasn't super, super popular, so we, we quit selling that. Um, but, you know, a lot of the feedback that we got from the people that bought it was, you know, it had an aftertaste of Stevia. They didn't like it. That was also my experience, you know. I mean, even though I do have a dairy allergy, I can taste this stuff, you know. Um, it, it's not like, you know, I taste something and then, you know, all of a sudden you know, I turn into an ogre or something like that, you know. Um, so, you know, in our stuff, um, when, you know, it was sort of funny because we had Maggie, you know, was a business developer at the time. You know, she came in and, I mean, we had yogurt and milk and all these different, different ways. And she was the one kind of testing most of the stuff. I was just testing it in water in very small amounts just so... You know, it didn't really aggravate me. But casein, you know, will require typically a little bit more. Um, I think the, the, the mix of casein and whey for our extreme formula, formulation and, and ultimately what is going to be eat form protein over time is really going to be, you know, you, you, have to, you have to taste it, you know. And one of the arguments that people make for, uh, you know, like Progenics as an example is a really popular brand within CrossFit. And when the Extreme Formulations guys came to me, I was like, yeah, guys, I don't want to be in the, in the protein business. You know, um, I said, I'd be willing to listen to what you guys have to say. But at the end of the day, you know, I've not tasted much better than Progenics. The problem with Progenics is like $70, $80 a bag, you know, and the amount that you get for that $70, to $80, you know, at that time, that's, that's sort of what I was using. I did move from there just because the quality of the protein wasn't sort of what I needed, but taste was always there. So when we started testing our stuff, you know, you taste the butterscotch, the lemon cream, the, you know, I mean, every single, you know, because Progenics, like their PB smash, I believe was good. And their cookies and cream, I like, I like the flavors of those. Literally every single flavor that, you know, the Extreme Formulations guys put in front of me was like the bomb, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, that, that was, you know, like I said, you know, we don't make a lot of money off of protein. Um, you know, we put it out there because it tastes good and it's a, a very high quality product for the price. Um, any any thoughts on on that before we move to to ISO? We don't really need to talk too much about ISO, um, but you know, it's just it's just a little bit more processed version of whey protein, sort of breaking down some of the things that would kind of aggravate people there's also um you know whey 
uh, or grass-fed whey. You know, I know all the stuff that comes from New Zealand is all grass-fed. Uh, the grass-fed stuff honestly doesn't really mean too much to me. The reason why you buy something that's grass-fed is because of the amount of fat in it. There is almost no fat in whey protein. So, you know, that sort of takes that out of the equation. But, you know, if it's something, you know, you're willing to pay for $5 more for a slightly better quality than, you know, buying whey protein from New Zealand or buying, you know, grass-fed. To me, if it was my dollars, you know, it wouldn't concern me a great deal. You know, that's just... Yeah, I mean, it's... I, I, I got I got a mortgage, a wife, and two kids, man. <laughs> yeah, I'll go. I'll go with the regular stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, you know, it, it's just not necessary. But it, you know, if it, if it's something that you can afford and that's important to you, you know, there is. I mean, the other part of that, you know, when we start talking about like animal protein, is kind of the, um, you know, the welfare of the animal, and so. There are a lot of people that buy grass-fed based on the welfare of the animal. Um, sure. And from that perspective, you know, that would be something that, that I would think of, you know, yeah. when I'm making my decisions as it relates to that. The last one is the hydrolyzed whey. Best way to describe hydrolyzed whey is that babies tend to be a little bit more sensitive to dairy. Um, certainly I was as a child, um, given that, you know, I've had kind of a existing dairy allergy, probably, you know, changes in degrees over time. So when you see baby formula, it's, it's hydrolyzed whey. That's why baby formula smells so horrible. And so when you look at, you know, when you look at regular whey protein, you know, like I said, you put that in orange juice, you know, it's not, it doesn't taste so bad. Like even unflavored. Yep. You put casein in orange juice, it would taste horrible. So you're going to need some flavoring to mask it. It's up to you whether or not a small amount of sucralose matters to you. Or if you want to go with something like stevia. But, you know, making an issue on flavoring is probably something that's going to have you you know, kind of opt for more whole foods, which, you know, we, we've made the case for, you know, throughout this podcast. In the case of hydrolyzed whey, um, like I said, you know, that's what's in baby formula. It, in the raw form, the way that I've described it is it tastes like what you would imagine hate to taste like. <laughs> you know, I mean... <laughs> Like it, it is so fucking bitter, you know. Um, I, I mean, I bought some that was mildly flavored, and it was also mixed with hydrolyzed casein. And, uh, you know, a lot of the times I'll get stuff like that from a company called True Nutrition. You know, if you're buying something like Progenics, you're way better off going to truenutrition.com and just mixing up. Now, I will tell you, 
finding your right mix gets to be a little difficult, you know, and you'll spend hundreds of dollars trying to figure that out. And so, you know, if you have a friend that has some or they found a mix, you know, that that ends up being good. But if you're buying hydrolyzed whey, you know, um, there's another company. Do you know what the other company, the protein, it's like my protein or something like that yeah yeah true nutrition is the one that i know the most yeah true nutrition is where i get my stuff from i know i recently got some lemon cake from them um you know like i said i can tolerate our stuff in small doses but you know if i'm trying to get you know let's say 30 to 50 i move more to hydrolyzed um and typically i'll opt for hydrolyzed but the less flavoring that you put in so the way that True Nutrition does it, and and basically this is, this is sort of describing like the progenic stuff. If progenics was truly hydrolyzed whey, it would taste horrible. Okay, so what they're actually selling is is what is debitterized hydrolyzed whey, and so the hydrolyzation process makes the whey protein super super bitter, but it breaks it down into um, smaller um, peptides so it's absorbed easier in the small intestine and so therefore you know you get less of that irritability type of thing like I said people will argue that progenics taste good one of the reasons why is because they're selling you debitterized hydro or at least a, a comparative you know I'm not I'm not People are going to listen to that and think I'm being negative about progenics. I'm not. If you can afford progenics, you know, I bought progenics for a long while. We promoted progenics for a long while. Um, you know, when their company ethics and stuff like that started coming into question, you start to go, okay, I'm buying $70 worth of protein from a bunch of assholes. You know, I don't think I'm going to do that anymore. So that's what sort of led me to kind of the, the true, true nutrition. It did take me a while to sort of figure out, um, you know, whether I could stomach, you know, debitterized. Um, even like the most recent where I bought like the lemon cake, it's hydrolyzed, it's debitterized. So it's not quite the level of quality that you would get if it wasn't debitterized. But you're kind of making that compromise, right? You're 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 going well. Sure, it's not going to absorb as well in the small intestine, but at the same time, you know, um, you know, I can eat it. <laughs> you know, um, the you could also hydrolyze casein. I saw there was some other stuff that was being hydrolyzed, and I was like, okay, well, whatever. You know, um, but you can hydrolyze anything, you know, just so it breaks down, but usually it messes with the flavoring a good bit. Um, if I was doing, you know, if I were to buy more of like this lemon cake stuff, uh, well, let me, let me talk to you a strategy that you could have whenever you have bad flavoring, you could just take it, you know, um, almost like as a shot and then kind of follow it up with a glass of water or something of that nature and that's some ways to deal with it obviously you'll deal with aftertaste and stuff like that but every every now and again I do get some bad protein 
Um, I'll pass it off on somebody like Chris or some of the athletes that we work up, work with. But if, if, if it's all I've got available to me, um, I will kind of take it as a shot. Like I did do a hydrolyzed casein and hydrolyzed whey mix at one point um, with double flavoring, not debitterized. And it was, I would not give that to anybody. It was that bad. You know, actually, I think Taylor might have ended up with it, um, <laughs> which is pretty funny. You know, and, and there's no way that he would have been able to do it any other way than just taking it as a shot, you know, because it, it was just that horrible. Um, <laughs> and even in the case of like the, the lemon cake flavor that I'm using right now, um, you know, when I'm not using the extreme formulation stuff, it, it you know, I probably would have been better off buying double flavoring. Um, the nice thing about like true nutrition as an example is that you can buy electrolytes in it. You can buy, you know, you can buy carbs in it. You can buy, you know, a number of things. But once again, like I said, it, it might cost you a couple hundred dollars finding out a good mix that works for you. And you might end up with some whey protein that you don't really like all that much, you know, so kind of keep that in mind in the process when you buy something like, you know, what, you know, the guys at extreme formulas, formulate extreme formulation. They have such a shitty name. <laughs> like it's so hard to say, you know, XF. <laughs> yeah, XF. There we go. Um, but, uh, They've done the work for you. They've done all the flavoring. They've done all the testing. It's been years in the making. You know, when you look at their big audience, um, they sell a lot to universities. And um, those guys, obviously, you know, they take protein pretty seriously. You know, I know Caldeets as an example. Just, you know, Caldeets is the strength and conditioning coach for University of Minnesota. And he'll just, like, take a scoop and just, like, you know, throw it back no water no anything you know that that that's kind of gangster for me but whatever <laughs> yeah man <laughs> yeah you know, so i think that that pretty much covers you know the protein i mean anything that that you can think of as kind of an exclamation point on on the whole deal but you know i mean if you're looking for the the best quality it's going to be expensive you know the the bitterized hydrolyzed or well I wouldn't call it bitterized but you know debitterized isn't quite as good but it, it it's it's good and it doesn't taste as bad yeah well I would just say that like um touch on a couple things that we talked about was like uh with the XF stuff like I haven't had a bad flavor um there are some that I personally don't like but I can't say that that makes the flavor bad it's just not my preference yeah um like you're a butterscotch guy, I'm not really. So like that one's not my favorite, but the mochaccino to me is about as good as it gets. Um, so just in terms of those flavors, that's there. But um, I did want to say, Sherry asked a question a little bit earlier too about overdoing protein powder. Want to just touch on that. Um, I don't think you can really overdo it, but there are probably better ways than just constantly taking protein powders um, in terms of your overall strategy. So just to touch on that real quick, and then um, satiety too. Satiety is an issue there. Yeah, I, I think that that's a 
I think that ties into with what I want to say at the end here is that um, you've got to figure out the strategy that's going to work best for you, whether that's um, three meals a day or six, or that's, you know, you're kind of, you can't do casein, I can, and, you know, whether your budget's a factor, like all those things are going to tie in and you got to do what you can to, to get what you need out of it, essentially. Yeah, to reach your, reach your goals, you know. Yep. Yeah, and, and, I mean, and you're thinking how it fits into your training too. Like with me doing lifting and you doing a little bit of everything, like we have different, and that's two different factors, two different strategies. So yeah, and and, and a lot of it, a lot of it is 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 trial and error. You know, I would say that um, kind of what Chris is saying, if you find that gas is an issue, almost every single time. It's either the quality, you know, like like some of the GNC stuff. I mean, I just think it's trash, you know. Um, muscle milk, I think it's trash, you know. Like some of the most basic stuff. But you could get away with some of that stuff if you change the dosing, right? So if you take your know, muscle milk and all of a sudden you're just like dropping bombs, <laughs> you know, all throughout the gym... You know, take half of it, you know, and, and, and your body can absorb it a little bit better. And I think that that's what happens with protein a lot is that people, you know, that's why Chris's strategy, if, if, if dosing becomes an issue for you, breaking it up into smaller meals is probably, or taking it, you know, um, routinely throughout the day might be a little bit better strategy. Um, do you ever deal with like gas at all with protein or not really? Not really, man. Yeah. I've never, not in a long time anyway, at least, at least since I switched to using hydro, it hasn't been a problem. Yeah. I would say that, uh, you know, when you're looking at, you know, dosing, you know, his strategy is going to be best for sure. You know, the smaller the amount, you know, and then also, you know, if you're drinking protein while eating whole food protein, you know, that's something to kind of think about with some trial and error for yourself as well. All right, guys. Well, that was a good one. I think that, you know, I mean, we could have definitely had Brad and Mike talk about protein. Um, but I think I think what was nice about this is that we could just talk about it from the regular athlete's perspective rather than getting like, you know, going down the research rabbit hole and shit like that and you know i don't think that that's the good majority of people's problems right i think not understanding the research data on whether or not you know a trained athlete versus you know it's really does this give me gas how could it give me less gas you know what i mean or you know what are the brands that you like flavoring considerations things of that those tend to be the things that matter the most to people all right, guys, I appreciate everybody being here. I appreciate everybody coming up with great questions. And, uh, yeah, maybe we'll we'll actually do some training talk next week. So, <laughs> all, right, all right, brother, talk to you later. Later. So one thing that Chris and I forgot to talk about was plant-based proteins. And one of the things that I think kind of separates Eat to Perform from a lot of other places is the fact that we are very inclusive of vegetarians, vegans, and 
we have been able to work with a lot of people and kind of get them up to speed where they're eating enough for what they do. And protein is certainly a part of that. So here are some considerations for anybody using plant-based proteins. Plant-based proteins <clears throat> tend to be less bioavailable, which means that you are going to need more of it. And that is something that a lot of vegetarians, vegans struggle with because, you know, obviously there's not always a lot of protein, at least to the levels that there would be with animal-based products. And so when you're looking at something like pea protein or rice protein or something of that nature, you're going to have to use up to double to get a similar result. So then you go, well, how do I get that much protein in? Well, it's similar to what we were talking about with, with some of the you know, lengths of meals and stuff like that. You need to make sure that you are planning ahead of time. I think you know, one of the things that always comes up when it comes to protein is that if you take 70 grams of protein in one meal, as an example, it can cause digestive type issues. The other thing that I think is kind of helpful in these scenarios is to add them in the meals, juices, smoothies, things of that nature. Those <laughs> I seem to be using things of that nature as a, a lot right now. Um, but those things are always helpful as it relates to trying getting in more protein. I would also say that you know when we're talking about protein amounts, we're really talking about something that is variable from person to person. And so if you're able to try one-to-one, -one, that would be something to start out with. And then if you can move to one and a half times um, body weight, then that also might be favorable. So keep all those things in mind as you're you know, trying to increase your protein if you're using plant-based proteins. So I hope that helps and I'll talk to you guys later.